Today on the Matt Wall Show, the most popular YouTube star on the planet is now featuring a transitioning man in his videos. Mr. Beast sidekick Chris Tyson has a wife and a child, but has still decided to start a medical gender transition, quote unquote. It's a sad case, but several important lessons can be learned. Lesson number one is to stop letting your kids watch Mr. Beast videos. Also, James O'Keefe has an explosive new report about the efforts to send violent male sex offenders into women's prisons. A United States senator casually declares war on Russia over Twitter. Joe Rogan comes out in defense of Bud Light, and Daniel Radcliffe grovels before his LGBT gods. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. The pro-life battle has finally left D.C. and is going to the grassroots. As one of the largest pro-life organizations in the world, no one is in a better position than 40 Days for Life to end abortion in a post-Roe America. With 1 million volunteers in 1,500 cities, 40 Days for Life holds peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities. Because of that, they've actually been, uh, they've been a larger presence in blue states, especially in California. Since the first 40 Days for Life campaign took place in 2007, they've reached over 1,000 cities in 63 countries. Former abortion clinic directors say that these vigils can cause the abortion no-show rate to go as high as 75%, which is detrimental to their business. Thank God for that. These law-abiding vigils have helped close abortion facilities in San Francisco, Seattle, and Chicago. They're also leading the way in efforts to prevent pharmacies from dispensing chemical abortions. So support their work and check out their locations, uh, their podcasts, and their free magazine at 40daysforlife.com. The fight for life is far from over. In fact, it's never been more important than it is right now. So for more information on 40 Days for Life, go to 40daysforlife.com. We live in a segregated culture, and I don't mean segregated racially, though the left is certainly working on that. I mean that it's segregated generationally. The younger generations have their own culture, their own language, their own art, their own music, their own universe to themselves, which exists almost entirely online. It shouldn't be like this, and it wasn't always like this, but in the internet age, this uh, cultural bifurcation of young and old is only getting worse. And kids have their own celebrities, too. These are people who gain tens of millions of fans, even hundreds of millions of fans, young fans, and become household names for younger people. So they're household names among the, the children in the household, but not the adults, while remaining almost entirely anonymous to anyone over the age of, say, 30 or 25. A prime example of this is YouTube star Mr. Beast. And the YouTuber uh, known as Mr. Beast, real name Jimmy Donaldson, has 145 million subscribers on the platform. That's just, his, just, that's just for his primary channel. Donaldson also has uh, several offshoot channels, each boasting millions of additional subscribers. On his main channel, Donaldson has three times as many subscribers as Taylor Swift, twice as many as Justin Bieber. In fact, he has more subscribers than every pop star, more than every internet personality, more than every media or entertainment company, aside from uh, Sony's India division. That one hasn't beat, but other than that, he has the most. He He is massively successful, wildly famous, And yet I hadn't heard of him until a few months ago. I spend much of my day online for my job, unfortunately. I also have a YouTube channel of my own, which feels suddenly quite obscure by comparison. But I've only just recently become vaguely familiar with Mr. Beast. And even now, I wouldn't recognize the guy if he passed me on the sidewalk. It is, to say the least, very troubling that someone can become this prominent among younger generations and have this much influence over them and yet be so obscure to the rest of us. If you're a parent and you've made the mistake of giving your child open access to the internet, you're placing an enormous amount of faith in these influencers who are influencing your kids. It is a faith that is almost always, or really always, misplaced. 
Because even the most family-friendly content, the most seemingly innocuous, as most of Mr. Beast's content appears to be, can subtly or not so subtly introduce concepts that will take your child down a very dark path. In the case of Mr. Beast, that path has been opened by his sidekick and co-star on his videos named Chris Tyson. Tyson's a uh, frequent collaborator with Mr. Beast and an internet celebrity in his own right with nearly 14 million subscribers across TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And he appears in uh, many of Mr. Beast's videos. It's very familiar to fans of the channel. And those fans, most of them kids again, have been watching over the last few months as Tyson has transformed himself from a married man with a child to something that is supposed to look like some sort of approximation of a woman. Fans had noticed for several weeks as Tyson underwent a sort of bizarre physical change, not only growing his hair out, but beginning to appear increasingly frail and sickly and started wearing women's clothes and all the rest of it. Finally, last week, Tyson came out as trans and confirmed that he's been on hormone replacement therapy for the past two months. Explaining his decision, Tyson tweeted, quote, Informed consent HRT saved my and many others' lives. The hurdles GNC, gender nonconforming people, have to jump through to get life-saving gender-affirming health care in a first-world country is wild to me. Just let people make informed decisions about their own bodies. In response to uh, the concerns some people have raised about the effect his transition, quote-unquote, might have on his young son, Tucker, Tyson said, quote, I know I'm going to be a great parent, and so is every other person who puts the love of their child before everything. I made this decision because I wanted to show up as my best and happiest self for him. In a way... This was for Tucker. Now, we'll return in a moment to the grotesque and laughable claim that he's destroying his body and denying his own manhood for the sake of his son. For the sake of his son, he says he's doing it. But first, we have Mr. Beast's own reaction to all of this. Yesterday, he sent out a tweet blasting those who've raised concerns um, about having a transitioning, quote-unquote, man appear constantly in videos meant for kids. He called it absurd. And said that, uh, called the concerns absurd, that is, and said that all this transphobia is starting to piss me off. Now, admittedly, Mr. Beast has been put in an extremely difficult situation because he built a multi-million dollar empire with innocuous, family-friendly content targeted at kids. And now his friend and collaborator and sidekick has decided to turn these videos into a sort of visual journal of his gender transition. So, Mr. Beast has a choice. He can either kick Tyson off of the team and then be excoriated as a transphobe, or he can come out fully in favor of transgenderism and he can stay, therefore, in the graces of the, the good graces of the media and LGBT activists, even if it means alienating a huge portion of his fan base, and especially the parents of his fan base. Well, unsurprisingly, he chose the latter. And now that he's gone down this road, there's really no coming back. You can expect much more pro-trans content from Mr. Beast going forward, which means that if you're a parent and you allow your child to watch Mr. Beast videos, now is a very good time to stop allowing that. We, we could probably assume that Mr. Beast would prefer not to have to deal with this, but Tyson has forced him to make a choice, and, uh, and he chose. And he chose wrong. This is really the common thread. Tyson is forcing this onto people who are close to him, forcing it in more ways than one. A few months ago, Tyson posted a, fit, a photo of his young son in high heels with the caption, quote, Tucker chose to slay this morning. 
It's only a matter of time, we can assume, before we start hearing about Tucker's own quote-unquote gender transition journey, a journey which Tyson will claim that Tucker chose for himself, but we can clearly see who is making the choices here. As for his wife, Katie, we can surmise how she feels about all this based on the fact that she is divorcing her husband. Tyson announced just a couple of weeks before coming out as trans or non-binary or whatever that, uh, that he and his wife had separated and were working on quote-unquote finalizing things. So if you're keeping score at home, Chris Tyson has destroyed his marriage, abandoned his child to a broken home, created huge problems for his friend and business partner, potentially costing him millions of subscribers and therefore millions of dollars. And he has done all of this just so that he can live out his fantasies in public. He had a beautiful wife, a child, a family, an incredible job that most people would kill for, which had made him wealthy and famous. And, and he pulled the pin and, and chucked a, a hand grenade into the middle of that happy and serene picture. And for what? Also that he can be his, quote, happiest self, he claims. And he achieves his happiest self by rejecting his actual self and all the responsibilities that his actual self is duty-bound to fulfill. Now, Tyson is, of course, just the latest in a long line of grown married men who decide to come out as trans or non-binary. This was Rachel Levine's story. This is really a story of, of some of the most prominent uh, trans activists in the country. I think grown men who transition after they've already had kids and, and are married, you know, this is a demographic that is, uh, uh, that is vastly overrepresented among trans activists. Now, we know that you know, a great many of the people who identify as quote-unquote trans, you know, you're talking a lot of this, there's, this is a, because of rapid onset gender dysphoria and the social contagion factor. There's many adolescent girls who get caught up in this. Um, but when it comes to the activists, it seems that a, a hugely disproportionate number of them are men, and especially men who quote-unquote transitioned when they were already adults. So Tyson is then a, a valuable example because he reveals an important truth about the trans phenomenon. Despite what we are so often told, the decision to transition is not personal and private. Okay, It's not some sort of harmless personal decision. It's not like you're, you're, you're you know, choosing an ice cream flavor at Baskin Robbins. Okay, That's a decision where you can rightly say to anybody who has an opinion about it, hey, this doesn't affect you. Okay, What do you care? That's not this. You're doing something that will have a dramatic, life-altering, devastating effect on those who are closest to you. This is not a private journey that you walk alone. You are dragging others with you, whether they want to go or they don't. And almost always, they don't. Indeed, all of Western society has been dragged into this. We are all impacted, and profoundly so, by individuals who refuse to accept reality and live as themselves. But those who are closest to the uh, impact site will feel it the most. And many of them will end up buried under the rubble, starting first and foremost with the families. This is why a, you know, a grown man like Chris Tyson, who makes this choice, really does not deserve our sympathy or our understanding. And I know saying that will probably get me in trouble yet again with many on the right who say, well, we've got to be sympathetic and nice about this. Um, not to these people, because he is engaging in the ultimate act of family-wrecking narcissism. It is the deepest betrayal of his marriage vows, of his responsibility as a husband and a father. And even worse, he's dismantling his family in a way 
that society approves of, which means that his wife can't object to the total demolition of her family and her marriage. She can't cry out in anger or sadness while her husband takes a wrecking ball to her life without being labeled a transphobe and a bigot, which is probably why she's remained silent through all this. As far as I know, she hasn't said anything publicly. She's not even afforded the dignity of her grief. She is deprived of the right to be angry about this terrible thing that has been done to her. Okay, you're a grown adult man, you have a wife and you transition. That is something you are doing to your wife and to yourself, but also to your wife. A man who has an affair, you know, and leaves his wife for another woman, at least that guy has the decency to wreck his marriage in a way that allows his wife to hate him for it, and her anger will be validated by society. Men like, men like Chris do the same kind of thing, yet they do it in a manner that calls for the wife's understanding. You know, very often we hear about men who transition with their wives' alleged support, and yet the details don't really add up. So, for example, uh, a woman named Deborah uh, tweeted this to me yesterday in response to one of my tweets. Uh, she said, quote, My best friend Katie transitioned with the full support of her spouse, and in fact, they still live together even though they're officially divorcing. Not everyone has the same story. This is quite a beautiful story. I'm proud to have Katie as my friend. Hmm. Um, yes, his spouse fully supports it. She thinks it's great. I mean, really, she's so happy about it. She really is. Also, on a totally unrelated note, they're getting a divorce. Because that's obviously what you do when your spouse makes a decision that you absolutely support. You divorce them for it. Obviously, the claims about supportive wives are always fictional in these cases. I mean, always. In every case, when a married man decides to, quote unquote, transition, the wife does not support it. And I don't care what the wife says about it publicly. She doesn't support it. And I know that because these women married men. Okay, They didn't marry some kind of vague, ambiguous notion of a person. They didn't just say, oh, I'm marrying a person. It doesn't matter what they are or what they look like or anything. Just, it's just a person. No, they married men. Men with definite characteristics, both physical and not. It is a form of abandonment, the worst form, in fact, to intentionally strip away and attempt to change everything about yourself that your wife thought she married. I mean, to, to deliberately attempt to become the opposite of what you are and what your wife married. It is, again, an extreme betrayal of your marriage vows. You are taking your wife's husband away from her. You're taking your child's father away from him. And the best you can do to justify that decision is to say that it makes you happy. So even by your own telling, even according to your own rationalization, you are choosing your happiness over the needs and desires and the happiness of your family. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Transitioning is wrong always and every time. Uh, first, because it's impossible. You, you cannot transition from one sex to the other. But even if we lived in the sort of science fiction universe where such a thing was possible, it would still be wrong to do it when you're married and you have a child. Like if I believed in the reality of transitioning, I would still say that by the time you get married and conceive a child, the transition ship has sailed. It is your responsibility now, it's your obligation to suppress that part of you and live as the man that your wife and child need you to be. 
but it's not possible. And so the reality is so much worse. You're setting it all on fire. You're burning your life to the ground in pursuit of something you can never attain. That you had something, you had something real and beautiful, and now you have nothing, nothing but a fantasy, a figment of your imagination. But, but at least you're happy, right? Except even your happiness is fake. Your happiness is as real as your womanhood. You aren't happy. Nobody is now. That was a trade-off. And it's never worth it. Now let's get to our five headlines. With everything going on in the world right now, you could really use a good night's sleep. That's why you need to check out Helix Mattress. I've had my Helix for years now, and I absolutely love it. Night after night, I sleep like a sweet, sweet baby, and I want the same for you, but you need a Helix mattress for that. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you, because why would you buy a mattress that was made for somebody else? The quiz asks all kinds of questions about your, uh, your sleep preferences, whether you're a side sleeper or a stomach sleeper, all these other questions, and then they match you with a model that's right for you. Go to helixsleep.com Walsh, take their two-minute sleep quiz to find the perfect mattress for your body and your sleep type. Your mattress will come right to your door for free. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews, and you can find out why by going to helixsleep.com. Their flexible payment plans make it so that a, a great night's sleep is never far away. For a limited time, Helix is giving you 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. But you got to take advantage of this, uh, of this amazing offer at helixsleep.com Walsh. With Helix, better sleep starts now. We begin with a report from uh, James O'Keefe, who is on his own now, but still covering extremely important stories like this. Uh, the Daily Wire reports, quote, James O'Keefe released a video Thursday evening in which two female inmates at the Washington State Correctional Center for Women discuss male inmates allegedly abusing the system by claiming to be transgender. O'Keefe said that the WCCW has been the tip of the spear with inclusivity in the prison system, as he went on to explain that OMG News, which is his, uh, his new uh, outfit, went to great lengths to protect the identities of the two women by significantly altering their voices and blurring out their faces. The video identified the inmates as inmate number one and inmate number two. It was not clear how or when the interview was conducted. Um, quote, so we have men rapists, men murderers, child rapists, men who have killed women and are in prison for raping and killing women who get put in our rooms, inmate number one claimed. Imagine coming into your room one day and you're in closed custody and you turn around and there's a man standing there peeing in the toilet because you have the bathroom in your room in, CC, in CCU. There's nothing you can do. I know there's some having sex with women. There was some like assaulting, but no one reported it, inmate number one said. Actually, we have the video, which is a little hard to understand because of all the, the voice alteration they had to do to protect the anonymity of these women. But uh, we'll, we'll watch a little bit of this. So we have men rapists, men murderers, child rapists, men who have killed women and are in prison for raping and killing women who get put in our room. James O'Keefe, OMG News here. Have you heard of the Washington State Correctional Center for Women? which has been in the news for its policy to place men who identify as women in the same prison, sometimes even the same cell as biological women. Imagine coming to your room one day and you're in close custody and you turn around and there's a man standing up peeing in the toilet because you have the bathroom in your room and see to you. What? There's nothing you can do. What you just heard and what you're about to hear are multiple inmates describing their experiences with transgendered women, formerly known as men, 
within the women's prison. WCCW has been the tip of the spear with inclusivity in the prison system. To protect the at-risk individuals involved, we've taken steps to conceal the identities of the sources and the inmates. I know there's some common sex with women. There was some, like, assaulting, but no one reported it. It's normally in institutions you have segregations are always going to apply, no matter what institution that you're at, all across America. But somehow in this institution, they are adapting ways to apply these so-called mandated laws that came out of nowhere to prohibit segregation for certain okay. individuals. So they're, Let's we can pause there. So they're prohibiting segregation based on sex in these prisons is what she's saying. Like I said, a little hard to understand there because of the because of how they, you know, the, the great lengths here to, to uh, protect the identities of these women for obvious reasons. More from the Daily Wire, uh, quoting uh, the inmates. Inmate number one said that some of the men who were getting put in the prison by claiming that they were transgender were doing so just so they could have sex with female inmates. Quote, there's nothing you can do but say you're going to kill yourself and then go down to the crazy unit to get out of that room. Inmate number one said... And if you refuse to go back in there, you get in major, uh, you get in major trouble. I told all this to the assistant secretary. Inmate number two said that normally in correctional institutions, people are segregated like sex offenders. Usually sex offenders are not in general population. They're always in the population of their own. Um, my safety is now in jeopardy, she says, because I cannot voice my freedom of speech. But that doesn't apply anymore because now they're implementing this new gender equality role that forces us to conform to what they want us to believe in about the transgenders. Inmate number two said. I've heard some of these men talk about how they would want to get a girl pregnant so the girl could form a lawsuit against WCCW and say that he raped her and he's willing to go along with it. He's pretty much the mastermind behind his own scandal. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to put in, into words just how evil this is. It is a direct violation of, I mean, common sense and basic human decency, but also the Eighth Amendment, you know, which is a guarantee against cruel and unusual punishment. It's definitely cruel and also certainly extremely unusual to lock women in prison cells with violent, dangerous men. And these women are totally vulnerable. I mean, they are defenseless, voiceless. They can't do anything about it. They can't, they can't say anything. They can't do anything. Even by th- these two women, by speaking out b- behind the blur, behind the, uh, the voice alteration, still there's a chance that prison officials could find out who said all of this. They could find out where this came from, maybe, and they can... Uh, you know, they could, they could either enact reprisals themselves. They could feed the information to the other inmates, to the male inmates that these women are complaining about, um, putting their, their lives, uh, you know, in jeopardy. And so they put their lives on the line in, in, a, in a certain way and are aware of that by speaking out, which is quite heroic. I mean, we, we know how difficult it is for women and for girls who are on sports teams and locker rooms to speak up against it because we know, you know, what what they can face. Just look at what Riley Gaines faced. Well, now take that exact situation, except the women are in prison and have no rights at all. This also really reveals the leftist um, victimhood hierarchy in all of its hideous, confused glory, right? Because here you've got female prison inmates. Many of them are women of color, as the left would say. Uh, many of them coming from poverty. You know, statistically speaking, a lot of these come from poverty. And 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 though the the nonviolent offender in prison thing that's kind of um, certainly exaggerated. We got all these nonviolent offenders. 
Well, it's exaggerated when it comes to men in prison. You know, a, a great proportion of the men in prison are violent, but in women's prisons, it's actually true that many of them are nonviolent offenders because men and women are different and they commit different kinds of crimes. Not to say that women can't be violent, but the majority of women in prison are there for drugs, they're there for property crimes, uh, they're there for uh, public order offenses, as they're called. So you could not ask for a group that seems to tick off more victim categories, right? It checks off more. You couldn't ask for a group that, that would seem to check off more of the victim categories. You have nonviolent, poor, black, female prison inmates. So you would think that that would be as victim-y as you can get as far as the left's concerned. And yet they are superseded entirely by trans. Just think about this. A white, a white male convicted rapist takes priority over a nonviolent poor black female by this equation. If the white male says that he's trans. If he remains a male and admits that he's male, and well, he has no choice but to remain male, but if he, if he you know, says that he's male, then, um, then he'll you know, remain all the way at the bottom. But all he has to do is say, oh, I'm a woman. And that's, do not, you know, do not pass go, do not collect. Like that's, that's uh, you're going right to the top. Actually, I just confused that Monopoly analogy, but never mind. Um, he takes such a priority that, in fact, the very life of the woman doesn't matter to the left. Her life, her safety, all of that is sacrificed. The, what the left is saying is that it is, it is worth it to them. It is worth it to them for a woman to get raped repeatedly in a prison cell for the sake of affirming the trans dude. That is directly and explicitly what the left is saying. Because we have you know, male sex offenders, male rapists. You put them in a jail cell with women. It's, it's not hard to predict how that's going to go. And people on the left, they know that. And what they're saying is, well, hey, it's a risk worth taking for the sake of affirming this trans person. It's just, uh, as I said, it's, it's really impossible to fully capture just how wicked this is. All right, next we have Justin Pearson, who's the Tennessee Democrat... Um, Tennessee Democrat pretending to be a, an abolitionist preacher from the you know uh, 1850s. He was reinstated in the Tennessee House of Representatives yesterday. And first of all, here he is coming back. Uh, he's coming back. He's coming out to the, the House floor after being reinstated. And uh, here's that scene. Let's watch that. Yep, there he is. There he is, pumping his fist, waving to the uh, cheering crowd. Except that the, the crowd is not cheering. Nobody is. Everyone's ignoring him. He's standing there. Hey, everyone, yes, and everyone is just ignoring him. Um, and if that wasn't cringy enough to watch, you know, every video involving this clown is a uh, is a try not to cringe challenge, really. It's like, how, how long can you even endure watching this before you have to look away because the cringe is so intense? So if that wasn't bad enough. Here's Pearson um, a few days before this 
again doing his uh, doing doing his his whole act, his whole shtick. Let's watch that. I believe in a division. Yeah. People who've been ostracized yeah. coming to the well. Yeah. I see white folk and black folk. I see queer folk and straight folk. I see rich folk and poor folk coming from the back yeah. to the well of justice right now. Yeah. Not tomorrow, but right now. Yeah. Justice right now. Yeah. And it is, it is this move right that's going to change this country. Yeah. All right, turn it off. As far as I can go. It's as far as, that's the most I can endure. Um, you know, I, I'm far from the first to point this out, but it's worth pointing out anyway, that, that part of what we're dealing with here, it's a bunch of dorks, okay? A bunch of theater kids from high school. And they wanted to be actors, but they couldn't hack it. So they became politicians instead. That is the tyranny that we are under. These, these washed up theater kids who wish that they could be, you know, acting and something on Netflix, but it didn't work out. And so they're doing this instead. And I would rather, I would, I would, if I had to, cho- I'd prefer not to be under any tyranny at all, but I would rather have the dignity of being oppressed by like old school dictators than these cringy little embarrassing nerds. I mean, if you got, if you have to have it, if you have to, if you have to live under a tyrannical system, I think I'd prefer that. I prefer the, the former over this. All right. Speaking of uh, tyranny, uh, Democrat Senator Joe Manchin paid his honorary visit to Ukraine and, um, you know, he made the, the pilgrimage as all elected Democrats must make, and many elected Republicans as well are making their pilgrimage to, uh, to you know, go to Zelensky and bow before him and all the rest of it. So let's watch some of the video that he posted. And then I'm going to read the caption that he wrote for this video, which he posted to, uh, to social media. But first, here's the, the video. Watch. Let me just say it's been an unbelievable... Uh, and un- unbelievable meetings that we've been able to have in a visit to see up front, person to person, uh, the determination and the skill and the will of the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian people. And it's our pleasure to be able to give them all the support we possibly can, go back home to America, be able to explain our commitment to basically show the support that we have. Okay, that's enough of that. Who cares? That's fine. Here's the caption. He says, in my lifetime, I have never seen the United States of America in a more just war. Our purpose is to defend freedom and fight for democracy. And that's why we're supporting Ukraine every step of the way as they defend their country and their way of life. So did you get that? Um, We are in a war. The United States is in a war. A, A U.S. senator just announced casually on Twitter that we are at war with Russia. Now, you might say, well, we already knew that. Yes, but they have not announced that. They've, in fact, they've denied that up until now. 
They've denied that, we're, that the United States is involved in the war. We're not going to get involved. All we're doing is supporting Ukraine. We're sending money uh, in all the right. That's what they've been saying up until now. And now we get the United States Center just casually saying, yeah, we're at war. We're at war with Russia. You know, uh, constitutionally, a, a declaration of war is supposed to be made by Congress. And we got, we got away from that decades ago. Who cares about the Constitution? And then it went over to presidents can just on their own decide, hey, we're going to war with this uh, country. And now even that is too formal, I guess. And now any politician could just declare it on Twitter. Hey, guess what? We're at war. There's a line in uh, one of the most recent episodes of Succession where Logan Roy, RIP, uh, spoiler, sorry, says to, a, says to his kids, I love you, but you're not serious people. And, and that's how I feel about our politicians, except for the love part. I, I don't love them. So it's, it's more like I despise you and you are not serious people. These are not serious people. Um, they're doing serious things. So that's what makes it so dangerous that we have unserious people like Justin Pearson, who we just saw, a bunch of washed up theater kids. We have unserious people who are involved in very serious things. So they do things like get us into a war with a, a nuclear power and then announce it on Twitter like it's nothing. And the media, a bunch of unserious people as well, they, don't even, they, they, they treat it as nothing. There's no follow-up questions. You know, nobody's asking, hey, wait a second, Senator, are, are we at war? Is that, so you're, this is official now. Is that what you're saying? No follow-up questions. Everyone, that's, yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, the whole Ukraine thing, our involvement in it is not serious. I mean, it's serious in the sense of being catastrophic for our country. It's serious in that way. But they have no serious reasons for it. Okay, it was, it was not a, it was not a, uh, a decision that was seriously considered. This is not the result of serious contemplation and discernment or, or debate at all. Um, just something that we decided to do without any serious reason. The only reasons we've ever been given are the, the, the platitudes that we just heard from Joe Manchin there. We're defending freedom, fighting for democracy. Okay, democracy is a it, 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 dem democracy is it's a it's an abstraction. Okay, it's not. What do you mean fighting for democracy? It's 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 a form of government that we have in this country in name only. But that's not the kind of thing you fight for. You don't, you don't go to war for that. For democracy, as if Ukraine, one of the most corrupt governments in the world to begin with as if they're some sort of shining example of democracy. And even if they are, you, you don't go to war for abstractions. You don't go to war to defend like the concept of a form of government. That is not, at least in, a, in, a, in more serious times in countries governed by serious people, that's not what you do. All right. Here's another uh, episode of Headline versus Reality. So the New York Post has this headline. One in five U.S. adults has had a family member killed by a gun. This is the, uh, and this is the headlines making the rounds by mainstream media. It says nearly one in five adults in the U.S. say they have a relative who was killed by a gun, a disturbing new study revealed Tuesday. The troubling statistic included death by suicide, according to the report from the Kaiser Family Foundation. A similar amount, 21% of respondents said that they had been personally threatened with a gun, the study also found that people of color were disproportionately, disproportionately impacted by gun violence, with three in ten black adults and one-fifth of Hispanic respondents saying that they have witnessed someone being shot. 
Okay. So let's go through the problems here. You have the headline, one in five uh, you know, that are, are, uh, have a family member who was killed by a gun. Number one, they don't, they don't specify what they mean by relative. So are we talking about fifth cousin twice removed? Is that, is that a relative? Um, so what do you, are we talking about immediate family? Because if we just mean every, you know, one in five people have someone related to them somewhere down the line who was killed by a gun, well, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's like five out of five people, okay. Now, now you get into like a, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon type of situation, except with guns. And so, if, if you're extending it out, um, and there's no limits put on what counts as a relative, then yeah, I mean everyone's connected in that way. So they don't specify that, and they also. As always, and this is something to remember when it comes to these gun violence statistics, they include suicides with guns. And this is a a cynical, dishonest, really pretty gross attempt to to beef up. It's, you know, we're padding the stats of gun violence by including suicides. When, of course, you know, when you say gun violence, no one thinks of suicide. They think of homicide. So every time you say suicide, every time you say gun violence, you are putting in people's minds the image, and intentionally, you're putting in people's minds the image of, you know, uh, murder and attempted murder. That's, anytime you say gun violence, that's what everybody thinks of. And yet, a huge portion of those statistics, what you call gun violence, it's neither of those things. These are suicides. Now, yeah, the end result is the same. Somebody is killed. But a homicide and a suicide are are different things. Um, Because, of course, in in one case, you have someone who is, you know, killed by another person using the gun to kill them. In the other case, you have a, a tragic choice that somebody made to take their own life. And also, you know, it's it's absurd enough to think that you can. um, solve the problem of homicide and violence by passing gun laws, it's even more ridiculous to think that you can solve the problem of suicide by passing gun laws. You're going to stop people from killing themselves with gun laws? Even if you could find a way to get rid of all the guns in the world, that's not going to stop anyone from committing suicide if they want to commit suicide. Trying to stop people from committing suicide is a very noble cause, and we should be doing that. But you don't do that by just taking away one of the, unfortunately, many avenues a person can use to take their own life. Um, And then there's also this absurd nonsense about 21% of the people in the country have been threatened with a gun. 21%. Not believable. Nothing about this is believable. So if if you want to have, we keep hearing, oh, we got to have a serious conversation about gun violence in America. Okay, well, okay, let's have the conversation about about violence. Let's have a, you know, I'd rather have a conversation about violence in general, because there is far too much of it in this country, especially in our cities. And if you want to talk about that, let's talk about it. But can we start by being honest? Can we start on an, on an honest playing field? Can we start with the reality and then go from there? Next, we have Joe Rogan, who's uh, chimed in on the Bud Light story and had a take that uh, some maybe didn't expect. We'll listen to a little bit of this. 
Do you have any beer in hey, here? Yeah, you want a beer? I'd take a light beer. Okay, let's yeah. get, get some Bud Lights. Let's uh, do this. Yeah. In support of Bud Light in their time let's of stress. Let's be allies by getting a little day let's drunk. Be, we're going to be allies. <laughs> yeah. You know, because Kid Rock and Travis Tritt have put the hammer down. I know. They're really fighting the good fight, man. Here's my take. Okay. <laughs> like, what you're, what you're doing, what they're doing, is just spreading the brand to uh, an extra group of people. Yeah. Why, if something is good, do you give a f who's got it? Like, would we do this with cheesecake? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if there was, like, a bomb-ass cheesecake and all of a sudden, you know, some radical group like uh -huh. Antifa really got into the cheesecake, we'd be like, f*** this. Yeah. And if the like if the cheesecake factory sent Antifa a cheesecake, you yeah. know, for ten more years of chaos, you know, like, <laughs> like a celebratory, a celebratory. Yeah. If only ISIS had bear claw donuts. Yeah. I'm still eating those. On the donuts. other hand, I loved Kid Rock's video because I love that. I love cheers. Cheers, man. I love that kind of thinking. There's Not even that I this. agree with it. I like wild people. Yeah, I, I like, I like a raising dude, hell, man. I like a dude who takes a machine gun to a stack of Bud Lights and yeah. is like, Anheuser Busch." <laughs> this will show up. <laughs> but I mean, where's he gonna go now? You gonna go to Coors? Miller Lite. Don't they all support like uh, LBGTQ plus AI, whatever yeah. the hell else they're at, attaching to it? Issues all right, they all yeah. do. I mean, I'm from Colorado. So, some. I mean, I, I do admire the acting skills required there to uh, take a. A, a sip of Bud Light on camera and pretend that you're not repulsed by it. But so let, let me, uh, I, if I could, uh, let me explain why we care. Nobody's complaining about trans people drinking Bud Light. Okay. I, if they want to subject themselves to Bud Light, then, um, then if they want that punishment for themselves, go for it. That's not the point. The point is that Bud Light is promoting transgenderism. They are promoting the idea that a man can be a woman. And they're promoting it by celebrating a man's day 365 of girlhood. So they're promoting a lie, a, a harmful, toxic, dehumanizing lie. In fact, the example that uh, Joe Rogan gives there is, is a good one. He says, well, what if, okay, what if Antifa decide to eat cheesecake? Does that mean, does that mean we, we're not going to go to the cheesecake factory anymore? Well, no, it, if, if, if some Antifa group decided to eat on their own to go buy a cheesecake, obviously it's not going to stop any, anyone from eating cheesecake. But the second example, he says, well, what if Cheesecake Factory sent a, uh, a cheesecake to Antifa and said, congratulations on all the chaos? Yeah, that would cause me to not eat a Cheesecake Factory anymore. Uh, yeah, that would, because there's a difference. In one case, you have a group of people that have decided to buy this product, fine. In the other case, you have the company officially endorsing what these people are doing. And, and that is a difference there. There's a difference, between, a difference between people using the product and the company officially saying, I agree with what these people do. I think it's great. And yes, yeah, so it's, it, it's exactly that same sort of thing, in fact. Bud Light putting Dill Mulvaney on a beer can is really exactly the same sort of thing as Cheesecake Factory sending a cheesecake to Antifa and saying congratulations on uh, on burning all the buildings or whatever. Um, and in both cases, you know, the customers will be upset about that. And they should be. Like, why wouldn't they be? You, you have, you're a 
powerful, wealthy corporation, and you have decided to send a message. You're using your power and your wealth, the power that you gain from your wealth and the wealth that you gain from the customers, to send a message to the culture. And the people who are giving you that money are going to say to themselves, well, uh, do, I, do I like this message? And if they don't like the message, they're going to say, oh, I don't want to contribute to the message. I'm going to stop giving you my money. It's, it's a really simple, there's, there's, there's nothing extreme about this. The only thing that makes this uh, unusual or, or makes it into kind of a bigger story is that, uh, well, for one thing, the, the thing that Bud Light is endorsing. In fact, it, it, would, it would, even though they're similar situations, it, it, would, be, it would be better for Bud Light or a Cheesecake Factory to endorse Antifa than to endorse transgenderism. Because at least Antifa exists. Okay, that's an actual thing that exists. And so by endorsing Antifa, you're sending a lot of harmful messages, but it's not really an assault on just like reality itself. Whereas by endorsing the idea that Dylan Mulvaney is a girl, not even a woman, but a girl, that Dylan Mulvaney is an adolescent girl like he's pretending to be, you are uh, sending a lot of harmful messages, but you're also, it is also you're partaking in this assault on reality. Um, and so, the, but the only thing that makes it unusual apart from that is that usually conservatives will just continue handing their money over to corporations who will then use that money to uh, work against them in the culture, to fight against them, and to promote messages and ideas that those same conservatives abhor. Now, on the left, they don't, they don't do that as much. If a company comes out opposed to them and what they believe, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, it's, for them, it's a pretty easy decision to make. But on the right, we've just gone along with it. And so now in this one case, finally, conservatives are saying, you know what? No, I don't, I don't need Bud Light in my life. It, you know, and if this is what you're going to do, then piss off. And whether you agree with Bud Light's messaging here or not, I think it's uh, it should be pretty easy to understand the justification for uh, you know why this boycott is happening and must continue to happen. You know, the, the only thing that calls off the boycott is if Bud Light comes out and apologizes and also renounces their previous support for the idea that men can be women. If they do that, then then I would say absolutely. Not only would I say drink Bud Light. So much, if they did that, I would go buy, I don't even drink Bud Light. I'd, I'd go buy a case of it myself if they did that. You know, the boycott is to is a consequence. But if the company does the right thing and backs down, then, yeah, they should be rewarded for finally doing the right thing. Um, but until that happens, the boycott is on and it stays, on, it stays in effect. Let's get to the comment section. Biden's plans to help struggling uh, business owners in the wake of COVID lockdowns were, of course, to prioritize Black, Latino, Native American, and women-owned businesses. It goes without saying that if the roles were reversed, if Biden had uh, said his plans were to prioritize white male-owned businesses, there would have been outrage. But if you own a business, uh, no matter what demographic group you belong to, 
You can't rely on the government to bail you out. You need to take matters into your own hands, and innovation refunds can help you do just that. If your business has five or more employees and managed to survive COVID, you could be eligible to receive a payroll tax rebate of up to $26,000 per employee through the Employee Retention Credit. Just go to GetRefunds.com. Innovation Refunds has already helped clients claim over $3 billion in payroll tax refunds through the ERC, and they may be able to help your business too. It's not a loan. There's no payback. It's a refund of your taxes. There's no upfront charge either. They don't get paid until you get paid uh, with your refund. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. See if your business qualifies for ERC assistance in just eight minutes. Go to GetRefunds.com, click on Qualify Me, and answer a few questions. This payroll tax refund is only available for a limited amount of time. Don't miss out. Go to GetRefunds.com, GetRefunds.com. Anna Powell says, my brother had a very similar experience with a woman in the Air Force ROTC program he's a part of. She claimed he assaulted her at our house, a very small modular home that struggles to adequately fit four people. At the time, we had nine people there for a holiday, three guys on the couches, one on the floor, two women in one room, me and my own, and my parents in theirs. I'm not sure how she thought she could get away with claiming that she was assaulted with literally no way of it conceivably happening. And thankfully, she did not win in the school nor the Air Force, but it was and never should have happened. He's now $5,000 in debt with his name smeared through the mud. And uh, and now that he is cleared, she gets to walk away as if nothing happened. Pisses me off. Um, yeah, th- th- and, and that's why, it, to me, um, it's very obvious that the policy should be, you know, if you falsely accuse someone of a crime, of any crime, really, whether it's rape or any other crime. If you, if you falsely accuse somebody of a crime, then, then you will be given the same punishment that they would have been given if they'd actually done it and been convicted. So, um, you know, false rape accusers are treated by the justice system just as rapists are treated. And that's how it should be. Now, if, if this was the case, then it, it couldn't be that you know, a man's falsely accused and then he's acquitted or the charges are dropped and then automatically the the, the, uh, the woman goes to prison. No, it's, it's a separate crime. And so now she should be charged and uh, and now you have to prove her, her guilt in a court of law. Um, but that ought to be the policy. There has to be a real penalty for this. Right now, there's like, there's no penalty. So if you've got a woman who has no integrity, she's manipulative, just a bad person and, you know, has no moral standards at all. And she wants to get back at a, at a guy. She, whatever her reasoning is, there's like no incentive really for someone like that to not, there's no disincentive when it comes to a false accusation for a woman. You make the accusation. Um, maybe, maybe it ends up with the person you're targeting going to jail. And because you're a tar- terrible person, you'll love that. Even if they don't go to jail, well, you, you've still, you've still, as you said, dragged their name through the mud. You've ruined their reputation. They, they have to live with the false accusation for the rest of their lives. Even if they're innocent for the rest of their lives, they're still going to be that guy who was accused of this. And, um, and there's no consequence for you whatsoever. So why not do it? That's what these women think. That's why there has to be a real consequence. Katie Mill says, Matt shouting out 90s kids and the yo-yos and virtual pets give me a nostalgia buzz. I remember having a mini yo-yo and big one in my pockets going to class in elementary school. I miss when toys taught you a skill. It took skill and uh, hand-eye coordination to get those yo-yo tricks. I had to go to a library or rent a video to learn those sweet moves. 
I remember a time when learning a skill and striving to be the best was mainstream and unifying and actually cool. Um, I'm glad to know that the yo-yo thing was, uh, was, was more widespread. I, I was never sure if, it's, it's like this weird blip on the radar screen of my childhood. There's this, there's this like short period of time when everybody in my school, it was, it was mostly, mostly the boys, but, but you know, all the boys had yo-yos. It was like the, the coolest thing, and it, it, but it went away very quickly. And I always wondered, was that, just, was that just where I lived or was it a nationwide phenomenon? Apparently it was. But you really can't, you can't come up with a, with a situation more foreign to current day kids than what you just described there, uh, Katie. Uh, kids playing with, going to the library to rent a video to learn yo-yo skills. Every part of that is kids today just don't know anything about. Um, Allie says, I want to know what Matt thinks about teachers calling students by their preferred pronouns, even if the parent doesn't want them to. Just as a teacher myself, I see this creeping into the classroom and it being just another way for me to get fired. Um, what do I think about teachers using preferred pronouns? Well, I, I would imagine you probably, if you've watched this show for even, uh, for even you know, two and a half minutes, then you probably know what I'm going to answer to that, which is uh, I am a, a 100% opposed to teachers using quote-unquote preferred pronouns. I mean, I'm opposed to the, the preferred pronoun concept being recognized at all. A preferred pronoun, I don't care what you prefer, a pronoun should reflect reality, and that's all the teachers should. Uh, that is all teachers should be concerned about in general is the reality and teaching kids about things that are real and true. Um, Cole says, one way I know Matt is right about Dylan Mulvaney's popularity, regardless of the right discussing him or not, is the fact that my wife knew all about Dylan before I started talking to her about him and the insanity around his life. She knew all about him and she doesn't pay any attention to politics at all. That proves to me at least that Dylan Mulvaney was going to be a cultural pillar regardless of what the right-wing media did. Well, of course, because as we talked about you know, a couple of days ago, um, when the left decides that they're going to pick somebody out and make them a champion, make them a martyr, make them a hero, make them a celebrity, make them a star, uh, the left has the ability to do that. They don't need they don't need anybody's help. They don't need our help. You know, it's it's very flattering to us to think that they need our help. And so, if we don't acknowledge somebody, if we ignore them, we put our head in the sand. We look the other way um, that they're just going to disappear and they're not going to become famous. But that's. Unfortunately, that's that we don't have that kind of cultural purchase. I wish we did, but it doesn't work that way. So the left can say, "Okay, we, we don't need you people. It's, we're still gonna." Again, we we own all of the inst- fame is something that is, um, oftentimes bestowed on people by institutions. You know, the powerful institutions. If they take someone and say, "We're gonna make this person famous," then they can do it. That's it. Um, and in this case, that's what they decided with Dylan Mulvaney. Also, here's the other thing about this. Dylan Mulvaney was already a TikTok celebrity before anybody on the right mentioned him or knew who he was. He was a TikTok celebrity before that. I mean, that's why we started talking about him. It wasn't like we picked out some random person who had five followers on TikTok. Okay. No, this he was already a thing, a phenomenon, and then the right noticed and started commenting on this phenomenon. Well, what that means, you know, another way of saying TikTok celebrity is to say that this was a celebrity among kids. Okay, again, this is the, this, the cultural kids having their own culture. And so this is kids 
already knew about Dylan Mulvaney because they're on TikTok. And so he was, he was already a celebrity among kids. If we on the right made him famous, if we did that at all, we made him famous to the parents, okay? He's already famous to the kids. And so we took him and said, hey, parents, look what's happening over here. Okay, look at this guy and what he's saying to kids. That's what we did. And yet you have some conservatives who, who what, think that's a bad thing? So you, you think it's just better for the kids to, to be influenced by this person and parents to not notice or know anything about it? You know, this is, um, th- this is a, a general principle. That these celebrities, these figures, um, they exist. Kids are following them. And so we can ignore them all we want, and that's not going to make them go away. It just makes, the, it, just makes it worse. Because now they have free reign and they can do and say whatever they want without, any, without being criticized. If you're looking for something interesting to watch this weekend, check out our series, What We Saw, hosted by storyteller Bill Whittle. Season one is focused on Apollo 11. And right now, for a limited time, all four episodes are available for free on YouTube. Meanwhile, on Delaware Plus, season two of What We Saw is in full swing. And this time, Bill has set his sights on the Cold War and the tension between two superpowers that lasted for 45 years. Episode five picks up with the death of Joseph Stalin as a newly inaugurated President Eisenhower has uh, just taken office. With knives out for succession in the USSR, Eisenhower sees this moment as a very brief window of opportunity to reset the conflict. Bill makes you feel like you are there in the moment, witnessing history. New episodes of Cold War come out every week, but you have to be a member to see it. So go to dailywire.com slash Cold War to start watching now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Ever since J.K. Rowling was caught in an act of infidelity, having an adulterous affair with science, the left has been unable to really get over the betrayal. They've been so enraged on such a a single-minded mission to punish J.K. Rowling for her dalliance with common sense that even those merely associated with Rowling are made to perform acts of public penance. The entire cast of the Harry Potter film series have uh, come out at various points, and uh, they've wanted to make it clear that, that they do not share Rowling's heretical belief in biology. You know, they've been desperate to signal their allegiance to the trans cult. We're not like her, they cry, as they humble themselves before the LGBT God. We're good and faithful servants. We, we, what other basic realities would you like for us to deny? What other bits of nonsensical gibberish do you need us to utter on your behalf? Well, we could put out a statement saying that two plus two equals green. Elephants are made of pudding if you want. Anything for you, O lords. Chief among these grovelers is Harry Potter himself, Daniel Radcliffe, who... Um, you know, clearly recognizes that he is potentially the most guilty, the most guilty by association. As the star of Rowling's fantasy series, he feels called to uh, speak the loudest about this. He must do the most to repudiate the author's bigoted belief in reality. The result is that Radcliffe has now taken a public position that is even more fictional and fantastical than the world of wizards that Rowling created. I mean, if if Radcliffe had come out and announced that Hogwarts is a real place where actual children fly on broomsticks and learn how to do magical spells, it would have been less outrageous and more credible than the position he's actually taken. Because instead, he's professed uh, to believe in transgenderism, especially trans kids, quote-unquote. Recently, he sat down for a roundtable discussion with these alleged trans kids in a video produced by the uh, left-wing extremist group The Trevor Project. Watch. I learned from, you know, out of the cradle that... I am 
you know, that I was a boy. I should like blue, I should like sports, I should be manly, I should like superheroes, yeah? And I just, I never associated myself with those things. And we are told that we're not old enough to know, to know this yet. Like, I mean, I'm only 11 years old. How do I know I'm a girl? And I need more time to think about this. He doesn't like blue sports or superheroes. That's how we know he's a girl. It's not how he decided that he's a girl. I mean, he's a child. He didn't decide anything. Rather, it's how the adults in his life decided for him. So we see once again how the, the, the only people rigidly enforcing so-called gender roles are the gender ideologues themselves. They are such believers in gender roles. They so firmly insist that boys must, must like boy things, quote-unquote, that any boy, any boy who doesn't like those things is labeled a girl by them. This is a, you know, gender role reinforcement taken to grotesque extremes. It's something that the most avid right-wing believer in gender roles never, never would have even considered. I myself believe in gender roles. That is, I believe that there are certain roles, certain attitudes and behaviors that society should expect from a person based on their sex. I believe that. That doesn't mean that someone who rejects those roles isn't a member of the sex anymore. Also, when I talk about gender roles, I mean like more important things, like uh, we should teach boys how to be protectors and providers, you know, that kind of gender role. I couldn't care less if they like superheroes or the color blue. Who gives a damn about that? So the gender ideologue not only ruthlessly and violently enforces gender roles, but enforces specifically the most superfluous and meaningless ones. By the way, I know something about boys who don't care about sports or superheroes. I'm raising two of them right now. Both of my older sons are, are only you know, nominally interested in superheroes, and neither of them have shown any great interest in sports, aside from you know, shooting hoops out of the, in the driveway on occasion. But uh, my nine-year-old son prefers to build forts in the woods. That's what he likes to do. My six-year-old prefers to follow his older brother around and annoy him with whatever he's doing. That's basically his hobby right now. Um, what's the significance of their lack of interest in sports and superheroes? There is no significance. It doesn't matter. Okay? I mean, I, I'm as conservative as you can get when it comes to these issues, right? I, and I embrace that. Like I said, I, I embrace the fact that I, oh, gender, we don't want gender roles. I fully embrace gender roles. I think they're a good thing. But even I, with my own sons, I'm not like, well, you need, you need sit down and watch Batman. It's, you have to watch, you have to like Batman. You're a boy. I don't do that. Nobody does that. Okay? Nobody cares that much about it. There are many ways to be a boy. This, this, this is the truly accepting view of the matter. So it's the left who declares that there is only one way, and any boy who exists in any other way is kicked out of the boy club. Let's continue. But there are also people who do have like a slightly condescending but well-meaning attitude of like, well, people are young, and like, how do we, you know, there is a huge decision. I'd love to hear from all of you about like, why we can trust kids to like tell us who they are. Well, I just feel like, well, me and you kind of share like a similar story. I transitioned like super young. I came out to my mom and well, not telling her I was trans, but told her that I was a girl at the age of six. It's been like years, like what I've lived female more than I've ever lived male. So like, I just feel like it's just living proof that I obviously knew who I was just like everyone else does. I don't understand why I can't just decide that I'm a girl. I, if it's a big decision to decide I'm a girl, it's a big decision to decide I'm a boy. Right. 
It's just, it's the same thing. There's no, there's no age. You don't have to be 18 to decide that, oh, I am who I am. I think we don't give children enough credit for coming into this world and having a sense of purity and understanding for themselves. Like, um, I definitely had that at a very young age and I tried to express that a lot, but I grew up in like a very stereotypically Christian family. Okay. So like, me telling my mom any type of me being different was like, oh my God, like literally she called my grandma and they prayed over me. I was like seven. <laughs> I was That's like intense. seven. And like at that very moment, like it was very like fearful, like fear striking. But like at the same time, if we're going to be able to like have relationships and be authentic with each other, this is something that I need you all to get, you know? Yeah. But I would love to hear from you also about just like, as I said, like I always knew I was a boy because it was just a thing that I grew up knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so everything that these kids are saying is, is nonsense. It's gibberish. Uh, one of the kids says that the fact that he announced his fictional female identity when he was six somehow proves that it's legitimate. But I believe this when I was six is not a convincing defense for literally any proposition. Six-year-olds believe lots of things about the world and themselves that are not so. This is one of the hallmarks of early childhood. It also has been one of the most you know, has been, had been one of the most charming and joyful things about childhood. The fact that kids are so innocent and oblivious. But the left has exploited this innocence in the most insidious kind of way. The other boy says that choosing to transition into a girl isn't a big tr decision any more than it would be a big decision to choose to remain a boy. But that's like saying that a nine-year-old choosing to be a commercial airline pilot isn't any more of a big decision than choosing to not be a commercial airline pilot. Just because one decision is big doesn't mean that the reverse of that decision is also big. Of course, my analogy doesn't totally work because it is at least technically possible for a nine-year-old to pilot a plane. It's not a good idea, but it's possible. It's not possible for a nine-year-old or for anyone of any age to become the opposite sex. So again, this is all nonsensical, but I don't judge these children, obviously, or feel any you know, uh, contempt towards them. They're abuse victims. They've been brainwashed. They've been led down a path, and they've been made to believe that it's a path they chose, and now they are offering retroactive justifications for this path that was actually chosen for them. And they're not justifications that they came up with, but rather they are talking points that they were given and that they were told to repeat on occasions like this. So I have an immense amount of sympathy for these kids. But Daniel Radcliffe, on the other hand, is a different story. You know, notice how Radcliffe ever so meekly pushes back and attentively suggesting that maybe somebody might raise an arguably somewhat valid concern about, you know, whether children are old enough to make these kinds of decisions. It's totally patronizing, of course, he hastens to add. It's patronizing, and they're wrong for saying it, but, but, uh, but you know, I mean, how should we respond to these questions? Yeah, I mean, listen, Daniel, you, you know better. You're only a few years younger than me. You grew up in a world where the biological reality of male and female was not in question, which is the same world that every generation of human beings, except the most recent one, grew up in. So they didn't get to you soon enough or young enough for you to actually buy this garbage. You cannot have been convinced because nobody's ever presented an argument in defense of this stuff. It's not that they've made bad arguments. It's that they've made no arguments. So there was never a moment when someone came along and said to you, hey, you know, actually, little boys can really be girls, and, and we should give them drugs to make them into girls, even though they already are girls. But they're girls invisibly, you see. And so they're girls in some kind of, uh, you know, in some sort of abstract sense, and, and that's what we need the drugs for. And, and, then, and, then, and then no one said that to you, and then you said, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> okay, I mean, you've convinced me. 
Now, that didn't happen because a mostly sane and moderately intelligent person cannot be persuaded by unintelligible gibberish. So there can't be any I get it moment because there's nothing to get. You weren't convinced by arguments or by any kind of reasoning process. You were instead, like most other adults on the left, convinced in the same way that, you know, a, um, a shop owner in the 1940s would have been convinced to accept the protection of the mob. The mob doesn't come to a business and present a proposal, a business proposal, and then, you know, give you a week to weigh the pros and cons. They extract your compliance through threat and force. And that is exactly how the LGBT mob operates. You have been encouraged to promote the trans agenda, encouraged with the promise that if you don't, they'll rip your life to shreds and, and also your career. It's been hard enough for the Harry Potter guy to get any good roles outside of the Harry Potter franchise. Imagine how hard it would be if the Harry Potter guy was also a transphobe. So that's the calculation that you made. You may take comfort in the fact that you're only going along with this sinister madness because you feel you have no other choice, but you should realize that every era has its own sort of sinister madness, and every person uh, who's ever gone along with it has made the exact same rationalization that you are making now. And yet we look back on those people with disgust. They were faced with a test, stand for what's right and true and endure the consequences, or cooperate with evil for the sake of their own self-preservation, and they failed the test. And they're defined forever and for all time by that failure, just as you will be. You sat in a room full of child abuse victims and you applauded their abuse. You are a disgrace and a coward and a liar. You sold whatever fragments of your soul you still had left. I hope it was worth it, but I know that it wasn't. Because again, it never is. And that's why you are today canceled. And that'll do it for the show, or for this portion of the show. Let's move over to the Members Block. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Godspeed.